The jungle was carpeted with dead bodies reeking in the morning sun. Flies buzzed around the blood and gore and rats chomped on rotting flesh. It was July 11, 1944, on the island of New Guinea. The Japanese 18th Army had attacked across the Driniumor River during the previous night and lost 10,000 men. They lay in shell craters and on open ground, their bodies frozen into grotesque, contorted sculptures. Around them were trees and other vegetation blasted and shredded by artillery bombardments. Mixed with the odor of putrefaction was gunsmoke and cordite. Mist arose like steam from the jungle floor and curled in the humid air. Birds chirped in the trees still standing, and vultures swooped down from the sky for opulent breakfasts. American G.I.s lay among the Japanese, their rifles and bayonets in their hands. They'd been outnumbered and overwhelmed, but fought hard and had been cut down by Japanese bullets and samurai swords during the initial Japanese breakthrough. Soldiers from Graves Registration Units worked their way through the jungle, loading bodies of dead American G.I.s into trucks. Dog tags were confiscated by sergeants who'd compile rosters of casualties, and in a few weeks, letters from the Department of the Army would be received in households all across America, notifying them that a husband, brother, or son had died valiantly for his country somewhere in the South Pacific theater of operations. It was the aftermath of a titanic struggle. The Driniumor River had run red with blood, but now it was muddy and filthy again as it rushed toward the sea. American survivors of the battle lay in holes or against trees, filthy, bloody, and battered, sleeping soundly. They were the victors, but there were no spoils in the New Guinea jungle. A soldier with pale blonde hair, six feet two inches tall with wide rounded shoulders and a husky build, stood in the middle of a jungle clearing wiping sweat from his forehead with the back of his hand. A Japanese samurai sword was jammed into his belt on the left side, a Colt 45 service pistol on the right side. His M1 rifle was slung crossways across his back, and he had a bullet hole in the left front pocket of his shirt. A two-inch cut was on his left cheek, and his right ear had been half-chewed off by a Japanese soldier. He pulled his canteen out of its case, raised it to his lips, and took a swig. The water was tepid, tasting of chlorine, but it slaked his thirst, and he said, Ah, as he stuffed the canteen back into its case. He was Private Victor Yabalonka, a former longshoreman from San Francisco, now a member of the 23rd Regiment's notorious reconnaissance platoon, and he was looking for something that he'd lost during the night at a machine-gun nest somewhere in the vicinity of where he was now. He put his helmet back on his head and moved toward his right, the direction where he thought the machine-gun nest had been. The jungle looked different in the daylight, and he wasn't completely sure of where he was. He'd torn the sleeves off his shirt for air conditioning, and the shirt was unbuttoned down to his belt buckle. His chest, stomach, and arms were striated with bayonet cuts and fingernail scratches, and his more serious wounds were covered with bandages. Yabalonka knew he should be resting with the other men in his platoon, but he couldn't rest. A strange thing had happened to him during the night, stranger even than the bloody, gruesome battle. He'd been shot in the chest by a Japanese bullet and should be dead right now, but a small Bible had been in his shirt pocket, and the Bible had stopped the bullet. It had been an extremely weird circumstance, and Yabalonka still couldn't believe that it had happened. Now Yabalonka wanted that Bible. 
He'd lost the Bible because he'd had to drop it and fight for his life against a Japanese officer wielding a samurai sword. Yabalonka killed the officer but had no time to go back for the Bible. Japs had been all around him and didn't give him any free time. Yabalonka stepped over a dead Japanese soldier whose arms stretched out stiffly in rigor mortis. He saw two American soldiers carrying a dead G.I. toward a deuce-and-a-half truck. Stepping over a log, he saw a shell crater filled with dead Japanese and American soldiers, cheek by jowl, in the grim embrace of death. Yabalonka made his way like a ghost across the battlefield. A few other G.I.s wandered about the area also, their eyes dazed, shell-shocked, and suffering from battle fatigue. But Yabalonka wasn't suffering from those symptoms. Yabalonka was trying to understand what had happened to him during the night.